You're listening to the Mangroves to Mountains podcast, where we talk all things outdoors, hunting, fishing, paddling, camping, adventure travel, and more. Thanks for listening. Hi guys, welcome to today's show. Today, I believe, is episode four. Today, I'm going to be talking about fly fishing in the Everglades. I'll talk a little bit about um, some spin fishing as well, like light tackle, but this is, for the most part, specifically about fly fishing. So the Everglades, where is it? <laughs> it's obviously, there's only one of them. It's in Florida, and specifically South Florida. So from Lake o- Okeechobee south, um, pretty much any water east or west and south of Lake Okeechobee is considered, um, if not part of the Everglades, um, creeks and rivers and canals flow from that area. So uh, technically that's it's Everglades, pretty much south of, of uh Lake Okeechobee. So, all right, so I fish mostly the western part of the Everglades. The eastern half is more freshwater. The part that's closer to Miami um, is freshwater. Uh, The exception to that is Flamingo Everglades National Park, which is at the very southern tip of Florida. But where I fish and where I've guided since 19, well, fished there since 1998, guided there since 2003, um, is the western part. So near Everglades City, Naples, that area, the back country of the Everglades. So it's a unique um, fishery in that there's salt and fresh water and brackish water, which is like a combination of the two. And there's, so you get into fish that, uh, you know, you could catch a bass on one, one cast, the next cast could be a tarpon or a snook, a ladyfish, or, you know, invasive species like peacock bass or uh, Mayan cichlids, one of those more invasive type species that uh, didn't evolve in the Everglades. The time of year that I really like to fish out there is the summertime, so the rainy season. There's really just two seasons out there. There's the dry season and the rainy season. In the rainy season, we get a lot of um, afternoon showers, thunderstorms, hurricanes occasionally, and that dump a lot of water. Um, The dry season, more or less, is from December through April, sometimes into May. Um, typically, most years we get start getting our, our afternoon showers in May, like mid-May. And then, so that begins the rainy season, the wet season, and wh- is, which is actually the time that I prefer to fish out there. And the reason for that is that there's just more water volume. There's more places to fish. In the dry season, the water levels can get really low. So places that are great in the summertime can be bone dry in the wintertime. So hard to fish when there aren't fish there. So the, um, yeah, the, the rainy season is my preferred season. There's some downsides sides to that. Of course, there's bugs, it's hot, it's very humid. It rains so you, pretty much every afternoon, so you lose some fishing time uh, waiting for th- thunderstorms to pass. Um, you don't want to get caught out on the water um, in a thunderstorm because, you know, lightning can be dangerous, but um, yeah, so anyway, but re- regardless of that, I do prefer the summer, the summertime just because there's just more places, more fish around, there's more places to find them, more water to cover, uh, more holding water, and also there's flow, so you get flow from the Everglades coming off from rainwater and going south or west, and it it's just almost like trout in a stream, so they the um, the predatory fish like snook and tarpon in particular 
will line up just like trout and they'll just face upstream waiting for bait fish and shrimp and you name it whatever they can eat um, to come towards them so they just face upstream and then you can you, so you can if, if you can find moving water you can you can locate these predatory fish okay once you locate these fish then you got to figure out what they're eating um, you don't have to be super particular specific with your fly selection as long as it's it's most likely going to be a bait fish pattern it could be a shrimp pattern um, but more or less more or less we're talking streamer flies or top water things that imitate a bait fish and the bait fish out there are small so you're talking you know three quarters of an inch to two inches um, the bigger tarpon and snook out there will will occasionally take down you know uh, mullet big mullet even like the black mullet they can be up to you know 12 14 inches but for the most part they're eating mouthfuls of these tiny little gambusia bait fish these mosquito fish or guppies um, and so, so you're using flies that are small um, streamer flies top water like I said um, smaller flies well not small for a trout stream but small for salt water so inch long inch and a half two inches somewhere in there and um, if a fly pushes some water um, even better because these these uh, snook and tarpon in particular have strong lateral lines so they can actually feel the the bait fish coming towards them or your fly in this case so when I tie my flies I'm using deer hair heads um, you know that are wide that'll push some water create kind of a wake that they can feel as even if they don't see it they can kind of feel it around them or hear it and feel it um, so I like flies that push water subsurface or topwater flies that get attention like a um, guardside gurglers poppers even just like a bass popper will work out there if you have a stout hook um, so for the flies it's, it's pretty basic just uh, find the fish or place that looks like it's fishy and it's, it's more or less blind casting uh, there are some giveaways so tarpon often will come up and, and gulp air they can breathe air they can gulp air right into their air bladder so um, they'll give themselves away snook will feed and they'll bust and you'll hear pop and that that pop is a, a dead giveaway for that a snook is feeding so um, you can kind of target them by sight and sound but for the majority of the time it's it's blind casting you're just kind of working areas that you think will hold fish so the tarpon that I prefer that's my favorite fish to target out there are small tarpon juveniles so we're talking anywhere from you know a pound to 10 pounds occasionally you'll get 15 20 pounders I've hooked them as big as 50 but that's very unusual the average fish is probably three to five pounds out there um, tarpon that is now snook you can get into um, very big snook they're very they're very difficult to land however because uh, the mangroves you know have the, the roots that when they go into the water they have barnacles that collect on them and their the barnacles are sharp so um, the snook often will just go straight for the mangroves and cut you off uh, the bigger snook the smaller ones you can typically land but um, tarpon don't do that if they do that it's by accident um, they're more or less jumpers you know they'll, they'll wear themselves out just by jumping and uh, plus besides just being really cool to see and I, I film most of my fishing outings so to get those jumps on film is just incredible but um, they wear they wear themselves out so the tarpon even of the bigger ones bigger 
juveniles are easier to land than the same size snook because the same size snook like a 10 pound snook is going right for the mangroves he's gonna try to wrap you up and cut you off that's just where he feels safe i mean he doesn't he can't figure out that he's cutting the line i'm sure but they're just going for security cover trying to escape whatever's you know pulling against him and uh, this is just hard to land those big snook i have landed some over 30 inches but you know i've seen plenty over 40 and i've hooked some big ones but just tough to land so they're awesome fish you know on a beach you can hook a snook a really big snook and you know um they can run and run and run as long as you have enough backing you can eventually wear them out and land them in the back country they're going right for that thick cover and, and they're going to more likely break you off so um people ask me about rods so i like a nine foot rod a lot of these rods rod makers are making kind of like these mangrove specials or like backcountry rods and they're fine i mean there's nothing not a thing wrong with them they're shorter rods they're stout uh the butt section stout and they typically have a soft tip which is what you want you know to turn these flies over quickly so you know doing all this back cast casting but i really don't see it as a necessity i've just used nine foot you know standard nine foot fly rods out there for years and never had an issue with it the one exception to that is fishing around bridges a shorter rod can help but um over the years i've gotten away from the bridges along tamiami trail and fish i'm fishing much more in the back country from kayak so a nine foot rod you know is fine in the kayak you, you don't you know it's it's not an issue at all um and in terms of, of line weight, I'd say anything from a six to an eight weight. Um, I have a seven. I have several seven weights. That's my favorite rod to use out there. I think it's it's the right rod to throw these flies. Plus, it has enough backbone. You can land these tarpon and snook. Um, a six weight, you could get get, a, would, get away with 90% of the time using a six weight weight out there because you're not throwing big flies you know you match the rod to the fly size not really the fish kind of a misunderstanding there but um you could even use a five weight out there for a lot of the fishing if you chose to uh the reels it, as long as it has i you know really any reel um doesn't even have to be a saltwater reel you can just as long as you rinse it out and clean it good after the, your outing it's a freshwater reel out there is fine um I prefer large arbor reels, but it doesn't, you know, as long as it, it really, they're just holding line. Most of these fish, you're not, they're not going in long runs. So you're not going to, they're not going to pull you near back, your backing. It's, it's very rare. Um, so just a large arbor is ideal because you can pick up line quicker, but you know, you don't really even need a large arbor reel. You could use a trout reel out there, just a standard, you know, um, trout reel. Large arbor is better, but you don't absolutely need it by any means fly lines i recommend a floating line um and inter there's some applications for an intermediate line i haven't seen too many times where i would thought a, a sink tip or a full sinking line would have helped me any i i almost always use a floating line because i fish a lot of topwater flies just to get those you know those strikes up on top because I, I video most of my fishing trips so seeing those strikes on the surface you know just the best and um you know immediately especially the tarpon as soon as you hook them hook them as soon as they feel the hook <laughs> sometimes they're hooking themselves they they're so aggressive but they're immediately going airborne so that's just you know and that's what you want right you're not you're not eating these fish you're just what you're fighting them for the fight and the, the excitement of the hookup and the jumps and the 
uh, you know, the leaps and these crazy cartwheeling acrobatics they do. Um, so, yeah, tarpon are my favorite for sure. Snook would be a second. And there's bass out there, like I said. But, you know, I can fish bass a mile from where I live. So it's not like uh, I'm going specifically out there to fish for bass. Um, so fly lines, back to fly lines. Backing, not important as long as you have some backing, of course, just to build up the di diameter of the reel, the spool. But uh, the, I will say this about fly lines. I wouldn't take your best fly line out there um, just because they do take a beating, especially if you're going to be fishing from shore a lot. Um, it's really tough on fly line. There's, there's gravel, there's sand, of course. There's just all kinds of stuff that beat up the line that net, put little nicks in it. Um, I These days, I'm mostly fishing from a kayak, so I actually do use a pretty good line, um, a more expensive line, but uh, like a bonefish taper, a shoot, bonefish shooter, I believe it's called. That's an awesome line. It's, it's held up for two years now. It's a seven weight. Um, so I, I really like that line, but if, if you're not going to do this a lot, I would just bring whatever freshwater fly line you have and not an expensive one because it will take a beating. Okay, I spoke briefly about fly selection. Um, you know, I mentioned, doll, I don't know if I, I mentioned Gartside Gurglers, which is a great um, topwater fly. Um, the thing I like about it over a popper, like a standard popper, is they're, they're easier to cast, although I will say they... They spin a little bit in the air, so sometimes they'll twist your line up, your leader up. But um, I think the uh, advantages outweigh the disadvantages. So I use just all-white Guardside Gurgler, um, uh, Dahlberg diver, Divers, white, olive, brown, black. Um, typically in the morning I'll fish a, a dark fly like a black Dahlberg Diver or a, um, a Guardside Gurgler in black. And then the same thing at dusk, like that last hour, because you know, these fish are looking up and they're looking for a, a silhouette. So the darker the fly in these low light conditions, the better. Middle of the day, I'll use a chartreuse or white fly uh, on a bright day. Um, and then the other classic fly for out there, I think it's um, Mike Connor came up with it. It's the, the Glades Minnow. That's an amazing fly. It's um, It really imitates those little bait fish really well. I mean, uh, it looks great. I tie a slightly different version of it, but um, he's certainly the originator, and you can't go wrong with a Glades Minnow. If I had to have one fly to, to use out there, um, it would be that. I mean, the fact that I film, you don't, it's not as, it's because it's kind of matches the, the color of the water, more or less, so it doesn't show up well on video. So I like to use white flies or chartreuse just for that reason. But um, if I had to catch, like my life depended on catching a tarpon or a snook on a on a fly, it would be that, that glades minnow. They're just an excellent pattern for out there. Um, another good fly is a, a small clouser. Um, the, I don't like the heavy um, eyed clousers with the lead eyes, but a bead chain, like a sparsely tied gray bead chain clouser is an excellent pattern for out there. Uh, really for anywhere for bass and for anything that eats small bait fish that's just a great pattern and the, with the bead chain eyes they're, they're easier to cast you know because clousers are you know not a pleasure to, to cast especially the heavier ones but you know, got really got to open up your loop and um, uh, another good fly is just a lefties deceiver um, you know an olive back or, or uh, like a peacock curl back white fly even just like an all white one is is good and then any of the EP minnow type flies are really good, especially if you use a, uh, a loop knot 
because they don't have a lot of inherent um, action on their own. Just the material doesn't move a lot in the water. Um, so if you put a loop knot, it, it you know, it'll look alive in the water. I, I use loop knots on pretty much all my flies except for poppers and gurglers because um, the, the fact that the loop, the fly can kind of swing on the loop, it actually works against you if you're trying to get the popper to pop. So um, it doesn't seem to bother the gurglers too much, but the poppers, a white popper, I just tie it directly with a, with a fisherman's knot, like an improved clinch knot. Okay, leaders. I probably should have started with or skipped flies and gone to leaders after the fly line. But leaders, I, I keep it very simple. I tie a um, uh, like a 60-40 um, formula. So I use six feet of 40-pound mono and then four feet of the rest of the tippet or leader. So it could be 40 to 25, 25 to 20, or it could just be 40 to 25 and then my fly. Um, you have to have some kind of bite leader, a shock tippet, because, um, you know, these, like I said, they, these fish have rough mouths. It's like sandpaper, so they will chafe through your fly line if you use, I mean, not through, not through your fly line, through your leader, if you're not using um, a, a bite tippet. So even a small snook will wear through your 10-pound, like, really quickly. So you probably want to land a small, like, 10, well, maybe not 10-inch, but 18 inch snook you'll probably lose it on 10 pound test because it's going to chafe through the leader before you can land it um so yeah i definitely want to shock tip it i don't i don't use commercial commercially tied leaders they're just not necessary for out there i'm kind of down and dirty um if i hook a fish i want to land it i don't care about line class records or any of that i don't need a, a breaking section in there if i snag it in a in a mangrove i just paddle over and pull it out or i just if i'm unsure i just you know, straighten the hook, pull it out, break the, the leader if I have to, and tie another fly on and keep fishing. Um, I've broken very, very few rods out there. Um, and I think that's typical of in fly fishing. You know, ceiling fans and car doors break way more fly rods than fish ever do or ever will. So, um, yeah, leaders not real important as long as you have something that's going to turn your fly over so you have a six foot butt section heavy line you know 50 40 to 50 pound and then and then down to 25 or 20 it's it's not a it's not rocket science it doesn't have to be anything special okay so that's all you ever need to know about fly fishing in the everglades <laughs> just kidding just scratching the surface here but um if you want to see more about this specifically in, in the videos you can go to mangroves to mountains channel on youtube and if you're interested in any of my flies they're on in my etsy shop called everglades flies um, i tie all kinds of stuff it's not just for the everglades i tie, tie steelhead flies and trout flies and panfish poppers and all kinds of stuff but yeah it's uh, everglades flies on etsy and then the youtube channel is mangroves to mountains channel and uh Please check it out. I also have a Patreon page if you're interested in helping to support the, either the podcast or my YouTube channel. That'd be really appreciated, much appreciated. It's uh, Patreon and, and just my name, Jim Dusias, D-U-S-S-I-A-S. Okay, talk to you soon, friends. Thank you. Thanks for listening.